0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Thinking to Believe podcast. My name is Jason Dooley, your host, and we are continuing in on our series on abortion. Today we're doing part 10 in the series, and we are continuing the conversation that we started last week on personhood theory. As you'll recall, we are focusing now our attention on premise one of the pro-life argument, that it is wrong to take the life of an innocent human being. And there are those who object to that premise on the grounds that uh, there's a difference between being human and being a person. And only persons have moral value. Being merely human does not confer any moral status. So they would argue that the unborn are mere human beings. They are not persons that one does not become a person until they acquire some functional characteristics like rationality, self-consciousness, etc. So last week we began our critique of this distinction between being a human and being a person. And I should note, and I didn't make this note last time, that it's very interesting that when the science goes against their position, the pro-abortion advocates then turn to a philosophical argument. So this is usually the group that prides themselves in being pro-science, and they will say anybody who disagrees with them is anti-science. And in this case, the science is clearly against their position. And when it's against their position, they abandon the science Some will deny it, but others just abandon that as the basis of their argument and they move to a philosophical argument instead. So, last week we looked at three problems with this distinction between being a person and being a human and conferring moral value with personhood. We looked at the law of identity. We basically said that whatever something is, it is for its entire duration of its existence. So if at any given point a thing is a valuable entity, then it has always been a valuable entity. Uh, we said that the distinction between humans and persons is arbitrary. In other words, where is the objective standard for making this difference? Who gets to say what it is that defines personhood and confers moral value? on somebody. And as we saw with the different lists that philosophers have come up with, those lists differ from each other. Why? Because this is a very subjective enterprise. And thirdly, we said that personhood theory values the wrong thing. It values the expression of certain functions, the immediate expression, rather than the the thing that has the capacity for those functions. Rather than valuing consciousness, we should value human beings because human beings have the innate capacity for consciousness. Now, in this episode, I would like to make some further critiques against personhood theory. And again, this is the, the approach that many, especially of the intelligent uh, pro-choice advocates today, uh, this is the tact that they take in arguing for abortion. They want to make this distinction between persons and humans and say that value only belongs to persons. So we have to be equipped to deal with this sort of an objection to the pro-life argument. So the further critiques of personhood theory that I want to discuss today is that it involves circular reasoning, uh, that it is inconsistent It leads to inconsistencies. And uh, finally, it cannot make sense of equal rights or equal value among human beings. So let's begin with the circular reasoning. Personhood theorists define what personhood is based on characteristics that only postnatal human beings have. Which begs the question in favor of abortion, because why is it that only humans at the postnatal stage have, you know, are the benchmark to define and evaluate the worth of all previous stages of human development? Why not choose some other characteristics or some other stage? Who gets to determine which stage of human development is the ideal stage or the minimal stage of personhood? It's rather convenient for pro-abortionists to define a person in such a way that excludes the very group of individuals that you want to discriminate against, and then conclude that because the people in that group are not persons, it's morally acceptable to kill them. That would be like somebody who wants to kill women and justify doing so. And so they just define a person as a male. And since value only belongs to persons and only males are persons, women therefore are excluded and can be killed at will. Obviously, we would recognize that that is an ad hoc definition. Well, the same thing applies here. The definition seems to be rather ad hoc. In other words, you're starting off with the desire to abort unborn children, and then you look for things that would make the unborn different than the born, that would allow you to kill the unborn. And so you find these characteristics like self-consciousness and rationality, and you say, see, ah, these are the things that are truly valuable. And since the unborn don't have them, well, then we can go ahead and kill the unborn. But why is that the criterion? It seems to be that you are begging the question in favor of abortion. In fact, some people have even admitted that this is exactly what they're doing. Uh, Peter Singer was doing an interview with Robert Brennan, who was a correspondent for the National Catholic Register. And Brennan asked Singer, he said, You separate the species part of human beings from the personhood of humans through standards such as being able to plan for the future, having an understanding of one's environment and having a pronounced sense of self-awareness. That is why you have the position that newborn infants do not possess a complete personhood. And here's what Singer responded with. He says, yes, I'm looking for what it is that might make a morally significant distinction between beings who have the fullest right to life. So he's looking for something that will... Uh, allow him to justify killing not only the unborn but in his case even the newborns all right the fifth problem with personhood theory is that it is inconsistent because if the ability to exercise particular psychological functions if that's the the sine qua non of valuable uh, individuals and moral value, then there are several counterintuitive examples that come to mind. So, for example, um, I'll, I'll have three of them I explore, infanticide, people who are asleep, and people who are in a coma. So let's consider infanticide first. When a baby is born, that infant does not exhibit all of the characteristics that define personhood according to these moral philosophers. They don't have an awareness of themselves as a self. They don't have plans for the future. They cannot have a desire not to die. They don't exercise rationality at that point in their life. So by the functionalist criterion, they're not persons and they don't have value. So why can't they be killed? Now, most would say, well, surely they shouldn't be killed. And I agree, newborns definitely should not be killed. We recognize that they have value. So if your philosophy of value leads you to the conclusion that infanticide would be moral, then that shows you that your moral philosophy is mistaken. Something is wrong with your moral philosophy. But interestingly and horrifically, many who are committed to abortion and committed to personhood theory are making the exact opposite conclusion. They're saying, well, then maybe infanticide is also moral. There's been articles written on this in um, very prestigious journals. You had, for example, the Journal of Medical Ethics uh, there was an author's Alberto, um, I'm gonna butcher the names here, Gio Bellini and Francesca Minerva. They wrote an article called After Birth Abortion. Why should the baby live? Notice they're, they're connecting this and they're not saying infanticide. It's after birth abortion. And there's a reason why they word it that way, because if abortion is viewed as morally acceptable, we'll just call infanticide after birth abortion. And that will, you know, through an, uh, play on words through a uh, a word game, you get people to think that maybe this isn't so bad after all. But they argued for infanticide. Um, Peter Singer has famously argued for infanticide. Michael Tooley, John Harris, many uh, of the intelligentsia who are supposed moral philosophers are arguing that infanticide could be morally acceptable. So, but I think for all those who recognize that it's morally abominable to kill an infant, then they should recognize that personhood theory must be flawed. Another counterintuitive example of personhood theory is correct is those who are asleep. Those who are asleep are not exhibiting those value-defining functions that are so important to personhood theory. So why don't we deem them as non-persons? That would be you. I shouldn't say them. It's you and me. Every single one of us sleeps every night. And during that time, we do not have self-consciousness. We're not exercising rationality. So why can't all of us be killed in our sleep? Why don't we lose our right to life and our moral value while we're sleeping? Now, Jan Narveson actually addressed this issue in his book, Moral Matters. He said, of course, we are not conscious when we are asleep or stunned, and we suppose that we continue to have rights when in those conditions. The sleeping body you see before you is mine. Before going to sleep, I had extensive plans about what to do when I awake, and I'm not about to allow others to make incursions on my body while asleep. The owners of sleeping bodies are the active non-sleeping persons that proceed and follow the sleeper and in whose service the sleeping body sleeps. It is those owners who have rights, among them the right not to be killed or damaged while asleep. Now, this is quite an interesting response to this objection. I mean, he talks about that there's an individual, the conscious person who is there before and after sleep. He said they own the sleeping body. Well, how can they own the sleeping body if the person ceases to exist while asleep? Nobody owns the body until you awake and then you repossess ownership of your body because now you are a person once again. But think about it. I mean, are we does anybody really believe that you're a person until you go to sleep and all of a sudden you're not a person? That's ridiculous. And his justification as to why you shouldn't be killed while you're asleep is to say, well, because I was awake beforehand and I'll be awake after. And, you know, in those times I exercise those functions. Well, isn't that not the case for the unborn as well? Yeah, they may not presently be exercising those functions, but they will be in the future, whether it be within, you know, eight hours from now or whether it be eight months from now, what difference does it make? If those who are not exercising the value-laden functions of personhood theory while they're asleep nevertheless still have the right to life, then why is the same not hold for the unborn? If they are um, if the person who's sleeping is still valuable because they exhibited, you know, valuable functions in the past and they will do so again in the future, then why can't the unborn? be valued because they will also exhibit those functions in the future i think this just exposes the problem with personhood theory you can't make a list of criteria that excludes the unborn as well as the people who are asleep but then make exceptions for those who are asleep and say, somehow my theory doesn't apply to them. They're, they're they're still protected. Again, this looks to be like a case of the tail wagging the dog. They're, you know, as I like to describe it, people who are throwing spaghetti against the wall. And that's how they reason. It's like anything that they can throw against the wall and see if it'll stick, they'll make it stick. It doesn't have to be self-consistent. It doesn't have to be rational. It just has to be something that seems to justify what they desire from the get-go. I think when a view of human value is so defined that it excludes groups of humans that we intuitively understand to be valuable, like infants and those in, who are asleep, it should alert us to the fact that something is wrong with that viewpoint. All right, the third and final group I would like to talk about um That creates an inconsistency for personhood theory are people in a coma. Now, this is actually very similar to those who are asleep. Um, It's just a longer duration of time. Um, But again, people in comas, they don't exhibit the value-defining functions of personhood theory. So why not deem them to be non-persons and strip them of the right to life? Why not just kill people who are in a coma? Now, again, there are some philosophers who, because of their commitment to personhood theory, would say, yeah, you're right. They aren't a person anymore. So it's not murder to kill them while they're in a coma. But most people still have a moral sense and understand that that would be wrong, that these are still persons. Um But, you know, and there are functionalists who would say that it's wrong to kill them because their situation is only temporary. Well, one, I mean, what if it was permanent? Does that make a difference? But let's say it's temporary. Okay, well, what does that matter? The fact of the matter is that the person in the coma does not have the properties that personhood theorists deem valuable. And if they don't have them, then how are they any different than the unborn? And if you can kill the unborn, then you should be able to kill the person in a coma as well. I mean, think about somebody who's in an unconscious state for a long period of time. They're in a coma. If you knew that they were going to come out of that coma in nine months, would you say, Even if you were a personhood theorist who agreed and said, yes, while you do not exercise these functions, you're not a person, but you knew they would regain those functions in nine months, would you say it's okay to kill them during that nine-month period, that they cease to be a person, they cease to have value? No, most people would say, no, it'd be wrong, because you know that they're going to regain all those functions again. So the proper response is to care for them while they are in that state even if you deem them to be a non-person, because you know that they will become a person again. But that has a perfect parallel to the unborn. We know that they will, in nine months' time or so, begin to exhibit the functions that we, or they, the personhood theorists, consider to be valuable. So why is it then that they do not have the same rights as the born? All right, so we've seen now that the personhood theorists, um, their philosophy is inconsistent. The sixth and final critique I have of personhood theory is that it cannot ground equal value or equal rights. In America, in our constitution, in our, our system of government, we recognize that all men are created equal. We believe in fairness and inequality that stands at the heart of the American philosophy. And we believe that those things are part of the natural order, that nature and nature's God teaches us these things. But personhood theory can't make sense of this. It can't make sense of equality and equal rights and equal value. See, properties come in two kinds degreed properties or non-degreed properties. So a non-degreed property is an all or nothing kind of a thing. So for example, being odd or being even, that property is an all or nothing. It's like either you are even as a number or you are not even as a number. There is no in-between, there's no degrees of which you could be even or odd. Whereas a degreed property is something that comes in degrees. It can be had in greater extents or it can be had in lesser extents. So an example would be being tall. One person can be taller than another person. Or being hot. Uh, You could be hot at 80 degrees. You could be hot at 90, hot at 100. So these are degreed properties. Well, when it comes to value if value is based on our functions and if those functions are degreed properties, then it would follow that value is degreed. If the properties that confer value come in degrees, then it would follow that the value we have also comes in degrees. The rights we have come in degrees. We may all share the same right, but you may get more of that right than I get of that right. You may have more value than I have. So for example, uh, rationality. Some people are much more rational than others. So are the people who exhibit superior rationality, do they have more value than those who do not exhibit? that same level of rationality or consciousness or self-awareness. If our moral value rests on these functional properties, then that means our moral value is going to be like a yo-yo. It can go up, it can go down. And that's why a functional approach to human value can't ground the concept of human equality or equal rights because there's nothing equal about humans. There's nothing equal about these uh, properties that define personhood according to personhood theory. If those properties are degreed, then our value is also degreed. If functionalism is true, then the notion of equal rights is wrong, ignorant, if not immoral. Scott Klusendorf said it this way. Secular bioethics cannot account for human equality or human dignity. If humans have value only because of some acquired property like self-awareness or sentience, and not in virtue of the kind of thing they are, then it follows that since these acquired properties come in varying degrees, basic human rights come in varying degrees. Do we really want to say that those with more self-awareness are more valuable than those with less? At the end of the day, functionalists have to explain why it is that humans should be treated equally and why we have equal rights if our personhood is based on degreed properties. So, in summary, the functional view of humanity or personhood theory is deficient because of the law of identity, because it is arbitrary, there's no objective standard. Um, It values the wrong thing. It involves circular reasoning. It is inconsistent. And finally, it uh, cannot ground equal rights and equal value. For these reasons, I think the distinction between person and uh, being mere human is a fallacious distinction. All humans are persons in virtue of the kind of beings that we are. Personhood is not something that only instantiates when certain functions are realized, but personhood is what grounds those functions. It gives the capacity for those functions, even when those capacities are not being realized or have not yet been actualized. Frank Beckwith says it this way, a human person does not come into existence when human function arises, but rather a human person is an entity who has the natural inherent capacity to give rise to human functions, whether or not those functions are ever attained. And since the unborn human being has this natural inherent capacity, from the moment it comes into existence, she is a person as long as she exists. Well said. We need to quit making these sorts of arbitrary and false philosophical distinctions between being a human and being a person. This has led to all sorts of chaos and murder in the world. And the same thing is happening right now. In fact, I am persuaded that it is completely legitimate to call abortion a genocide. It is a genocide in the womb because it is a systematic slaughter the destruction of people who are undesirable, human beings that are wanted to be killed simply because they are inconvenient. And we do so often by just simply denying them the status of personhood and denying them the moral value that is intrinsic to them as human beings. The unborn are their, their microscopic humans, they're microscopic Americans, and they have the exact same right that you and I have as born individuals. Their size doesn't matter. Their location doesn't matter. You know, those who support abortion think that some human beings aren't worthy of life simply because they're small and because they are in the wrong location. But a civilized culture should be protecting their weakest and most vulnerable members. And yet we have legalized the destruction and murder of our most vulnerable population, the unborn. We can't kill them simply because they're defenseless. We can't kill them simply because they're unwanted. Scott Klusendorf said, In the past, we used to discriminate on the basis of skin color and gender. But now, with elective abortion, we discriminate on the basis of size, level of development, location, and degree of dependency. We've simply exchanged one form of bigotry for another. And I don't think it's right for us. To discriminate against any human beings because of their race, because of their uh, gender. And I surely don't think we should discriminate uh, against any human beings because of their size or their location. The fact of the matter is that the unborn are full members of the human community. They have the same value that all other human beings have. They have the same right to life and they deserve those rights the same rights that all of us have, including that most fundamental right of all, the right to life. All right, I'll leave it there. Uh, Next time we'll pick up looking at tactics. How is it that we can present the pro-life case to other individuals? What are some good tactics for um, presenting the case and dealing with objections? I'll also be discussing graphic aids Is there value in showing people images of abortions as well as images of the unborn in its regular human development, such as pictures of embryos in utero or um, sonograms? Is there some value in that? So we'll discuss that next time. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com. Or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.